Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Madison, a community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMadison.com. If you're visiting this morning, or if you've been here for a while and never seen me wear this, and you're like, whoa, Scott's got a weird robe on. Um, this is called a chasuble, and it's basically my party clothes. Uh, it's what I put on on party days of the church, and today is a feast day, and so we have party dress. And the tarp is not for the sake of all saints. That is here because it was edge fest last night, and apparently got kind of rowdy. But then we're having church here this morning. So um, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we glorify you for being good to this church for a year. And Lord, we, this whole service is thanksgiving and praise to you for your faithfulness to us, both individually over the last year since we launched this morning and also as a community, as a body. Uh, Lord, we pray that we would grow to love you more even now in word and sacrament and worship. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, we're in a series about how God is calling our church community deeper into love and obedience. And basically, as a year-old church this morning, we're looking into the horizons and more than wanting to grow numerically, even though that's great, or have better programs or do this or that, we feel like God wants to first grasp our hearts and he wants to grip our will. And the first week we talked about how the Bible is very clear about how more than anything, love is our number one calling. Super clear. Last week, we talked about how we actually experience God's love and about how it's not some ambiguous, unattainable, hazy thing. And in the passage we studied last week, which was 1 John 4, a verse stuck out to me that I've never really noticed and got me thinking a lot. And it's actually in your bulletin if you open up to 1 John. I included it there as the last verse. It's 1 John 4, verse 12. And it says this, If we love one another... God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. Again, last verse in 1 John. I'll read that again. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. The Greek word used there for perfected is about something being finished or completed. So it's almost like John is saying God loves us, and when we love one another, that love is completed or the process is finished. And as we talked about love, I've used the analogy of electricity before, and I'm going to use it again this morning, and at the expense of potentially butchering a metaphor that I know very little about, I think an electrical circuit uh, can help us understand what John's talking about. I almost got a little whiteboard and drew one of those like third grade circuit things. So just picture it in your mind, okay? In an electric circuit, you first have a power source. So think of a battery or a generator. And from that source, the electric, electricity goes out through wire, conductor wire, and powers all different kinds of things. So think your light bulbs and your appliances or whatever. And then it goes back to the source. And when the electricity is flowing freely through it, I'm getting some yeses. Uh, there we go. Electricians and handy engineers, am I right? I'm getting some yeses. Uh, there we go. If there's a break, so think if there's a break in the wire, then it's called a closed circuit. Needless to say, when there's no break, in the flow of electricity, your light bulb lights up. Your, your microwave turns on. When there is a break, everything goes lifeless and dead, right? And a switch is something that opens or closes the circuit. You guys tracking with me? Science. God's love is like a current. 
And the relationship between the three persons of the Trinity and the Christian community is like one big circuit. We were created to be animated and lit up by the love of God. You're a conductor. The Bible routinely describes you as a vessel that holds something or something through which something passes through. So we're like appliances. Uh, that'll be our hashtag tweet for all, all saints is I'm an appliance for Jesus. Think about what we talked about last week, though, in all seriousness, about experiencing love through the Trinity. The Father is the source of love. That love is incarnated directly and demonstrated in history through the Son. And then that love is manifested personally through the Holy Spirit. If you took out any one of those links, you would break the flow in the chain. It's a Trinitarian package, like we talked about last week. And to come full circle back to 1 John 4, that verse we read, the Bible's saying that God's love won't fully pulse through you and animate you unless it flows through you to other people. And that means that loving others is a switch for the love of God. Is my analogy in any way making sense? You guys tracking? Loving others is a switch. Listen to 1 John again. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you hear the chain reaction there? It's like a, it's passing from God to one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So the love of God is only received if it is given. Amen? Amen. The love of God, let me say that again, is only received and experienced if it is given. God wants you to know and experience, Jesus says this amazing thing in John 17, that the Father loves us just as he has loved the Son, which is ridiculous. And he wants you to know from Jesus, the circuit will be broken. You'll neither be filled with the love of God or love God back. So this means, if this is true, you could study all the Bible and theology you possibly can. You could read everything that great Christians throughout the years have read. And if it's not paired with loving others, that knowledge it means nothing. It's kind of like Paul says, it gains you nothing. It also means you could go to every single prayer and worship service possible to try to taste the love of God. But if it's not matched with loving others and like sleeves rolled up, messy love, it will just remain between you and God and love is relational. God's love is experienced with other people. It's realized in time and space through others and that's when the current goes from God all the way from the Trinity to you through others and back to God. And then everything just goes and it lights up. And that's why we couldn't end this series with last week on just the love of God because God's love is relational. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one's ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So this is the biblical concept I wanna frame our time this morning. You cannot deepen in the love of God and not deepen in love for other actual people. Not mythical people, but like the real people who are annoying and in your life. You can't have one and not have the other. God's love is only received when it is given. And when it is given, it is received. You could say the more that it's given, the more that the current floods through you. For the rest of the time, I just wanna add flesh on those bones. What in the world does it mean to love others? Uh, to help this not be just a hazy, idea. We've talked about this a lot. Love is easy to just become ambiguous. What does this actually mean? Turn with me to your gospel reading in John 13. 
This is what we're going to look at to try to add flesh on these bones of what it actually looks like to flip the switch. You guys there? What does it look like to love others? Is it a feeling? Is it an action? Jesus makes it crystal clear in verse 34. Look at it with me. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. There's the switch. But what does it mean? Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Jesus doesn't leave love as an ambiguous idea because his command is essentially do what I did. And Jesus' love was not ambiguous. It was real. It was dusty. It was tactile. It was incarnate. So what did Jesus do? What defined his love? We're not going to spend a lot here, but just to anchor it a little bit. I've talked about this, but love of, the love of Jesus is always anchored in the Bible to the two words of service and sacrifice. Always you see those two things coming in descriptors of his love. So guess what the context is of John 13? Jesus is at supper in the upper room with his disciples, and he's just served them, and then he's taken off his outer clothes. They could have looked something like this. And he put on the, the towel of a servant, and then he gets down and he washes their feet. He serves them. And then Jesus says this right before our passage in John 13. Do you understand what I've done to you? They're like, do you understand what's happening right now? You call me teacher and Lord, for you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, have served you, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Listen to this. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. So Jesus' example was of humble service. His love was not just fuzzy. It wasn't just a feeling. But love finds its greatest expression in sacrifice, right? We talked about this last week, and this brings us to where we always want to be, which is back at the foot of the cross. 1 John 3 says this, which Jen read today, by this we know love. Like, don't let it remain undefined. He laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for one another. So to love like Jesus, it's not an idea. It's not just a feeling. It's gritty, self-sacrificial love through service, through humility, through actions, through all kinds of things. But now, this is kind of where I want to drill down. We should be asking the next question is, who am I to love? If loving like Jesus is a switch, who am I to love that turns on this love of God in my life? And this is where we're going to drill down. Jesus makes it really clear that Christians are called to love everybody, means everyone. If you're really curious about it, Jesus actually tells the story of the Good Samaritan to prove that your, your neighbor is everybody all the time, no matter their race, religion, nationality, age, no one is not your neighbor. Jesus even clarifies, even if they're an enemy, you're still supposed to love them. So Christians love everybody. We got that? Everybody give me a nod. And yet, right alongside that, the scriptures place a unique emphasis on loving the church. And because it's the Feast of All Saints, and because it's our first birthday, can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. hallelujah. It is a timely and glorious truth for us to meditate on. Look at John 13 with me again, the one in the gospel. Verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you, and that you is plural, so it's the southern y'all, by this, all people will know that y'all in the room, 
are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus is commanding followers of Jesus to love other followers of Jesus. And we know there's a unique emphasis here because he even says, when you guys love each other, everybody else in your life, coworkers, neighbors, friends, family, they're all going to look in and see, oh my gosh, look at how followers of Jesus love followers of Jesus. They'll see how loving the community is. Now, that might seem weird that we're meant to love all, yet especially love the church, but those things aren't mutually exclusive. It's not a zero-sum game. Just think about your life. Loving your family uniquely doesn't diminish your love for other people. And as an example of this, since we've launched a year ago, I have grown to love our children and our church so much, your children. But that has in no way diminished my love for my kids. How ridiculous would it be like, well, I can't appreciate your kids because I love my kids. I'm sorry. That's ridiculous, okay? These two things are not mutually exclusive. We love our neighbor as ourself and Jesus uniquely says, love each other. So on the Feast of All Saints, I have three points that are easy to write down, I think, about loving the church, meditating on this idea that Jesus is commanding us to love the church. Number one, to love Jesus is to love the church. To love Jesus is to love the church. If we are going to love Jesus and obey his command to love like him, it means we will love his bride, the church. And by that, I mean capital C church, one holy, Catholic, apostolic, historic church. If you came up to me and said, hey, man, I really like you and I love you, but I don't like your wife, and I don't want to hang out with her, but I want to spend time with you, how would our friendship pan out, do you think? (laughs) Not well. (laughs) I would probably be much more gracious than Jesus, but Jesus has a bride and he loves her. Ephesians says that Jesus loved the church and gave himself up for her. He laid his entire life down to her. Get this, he has covenanted himself to her, meaning that he's not going to leave her. He's bonded himself to his bride. So don't think you can have a relationship with Jesus and not have a relationship with the church. To love Jesus is to love his betrothed, his church. The Feast of All Saints is the day um, we remember all the great cloud of witnesses who have gone before us. And man, go back and read the lyrics to that first hymn we sang, For All the Saints Who From Their Labors Rest. It is so powerful. Um, That's why we sing it every year. But in a nutshell, All Saints is our family feast. It's the part of the church calendar where we celebrate the church And we remember that this thing we're a part of, even though our congregation is a year old, is the church is not a year old. People ask me all the time in Madison, like, what do you do? I'm a pastor of a church. Like, which one is it? And I say, Christ Church Madison. And I wait for like the next 20 questions that I know are coming. And one's like, it's a year old. You started a church. And I always try to say like, I didn't start a church. I'm a part of a new congregation that's been meeting for a year. But Christianity and the church is not just about Madison or Anglicanism or America right? We are a part of a mystical, global, historic whole. Amen? And you and I are a special, unique part, but we're just a little part of a big thing. And part of what it means to have your love kindled for the one holy Catholic and apostolic church is to be drawn to the beauty of her. 
to see in the church what Jesus loves about her. Her global historicity, her unity and diversity, her perseverance through persecution, even to this day, her prophetic witness through political tumult, famine, war, her compassion on the poor and the oppressed. When we remember these things, we are drawn, we're strengthened ourselves. Our own faith is buttressed up. If you've been reading, uh, we have a reading called a lectionary where there's just Bible readings that our church can read together if you want to. You don't have to. But if you were reading this week, um, on Thursday, Marissa and I read it together, one of the greatest passages about the church in Hebrews 11. And I'm just going to read it. It's kind of a chunk, but it just talks about the people who've gone before us. So this is Hebrews 11:32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. What an amazing, amazing litany of faith. But here's what Hebrews does with that. Here's how he applies it to you right now as you're listening to that and going, oh my gosh. Therefore, that's the big fat all saints therefore. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Marissa and I have been going through a lot and we read that this week and we went, okay. Amen. Wherever you're at in your faith this morning, and our church is full of people in so many different places in their faith, your love for the people of God must grow alongside your love of God. Those two go together. If you don't want to hang out with my wife, I don't want to hang out with you. Not to make it a negative like that, but loving the church comes with loving Jesus. If you try to experience God's love and have a relationship with him, but reject his beloved, you'll be turning off the switch. And a cool application of this, uh, I love Caitlin is starting to send out a Treehouse newsletter with the themes of the scriptures of what they're studying. Treehouse is our children's ministry. And she said this week, a cool thing you can do as a family in All Saints is pick a saint, a man or a woman in Christian history uh, that you want to look into as a family or talk about. And just for you personally, if you want to kindle your love for the church, that could be a really cool thing to do this November before Advent comes. Who is somebody in history, starting from the, all the way back in the day to today, 
Uh, you could read and be warmed in your heart by that, man, these people have gone before us. They were in my situation too, and they endured. They stood the test. Praise God. Number one, to love Jesus is to love the church. Number two, to love the church is to love your church. This is the kicker. To love the church is to love your local church. When Jesus said love one another, remember the context. It wasn't a classroom. It wasn't a philosophical idea. The context was 12 dudes sitting around a table. And yes, we receive his love one another, but also when Jesus said that to his disciples, what he meant was, John, you gotta love Peter, even though Peter is kind of crazy sometimes and like annoying and brash. Philip, you've gotta love Matthew. I know he was a tax collector and that, that was a thing for you at first, but you have to love him too. And if Jesus were here today and he said this, he would say, Christ Church Madison, love one another. So all of a sudden, we're not in ideal land anymore. We're now on a, a nasty tarp in this gym. <laughs> John says this in 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, who's actually in life on life, cannot love God who he's not seen. And again, do you hear John using the circuit logic there? You can't love the immortal, invisible God and not love the brother or sister who's visibly in front of you. The two go together, the one confirms the other, and vice versa. In the same way, you can't love the idea of church, but not love the real people who actually make up the church in your life. Amen? It's easy to love the church as a theological concept, just as an idea. I've been around a lot of people who really love to study the Bible and think about theology, and it's very easy to love the church and not love your church, which is real people. Uh, in his book, The Brothers Karamazov, the novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky, which I never know if I'm saying his name right, he makes this distinction between the idea of loving other people in the dream world and loving people in a real and active way. This is a really famous quote, but it's beautiful. He says this, Active love is a harsh and fearful thing compared with love in dreams. Love in dreams thirsts for immediate action, quickly performed and with everyone watching. You know, this is like you help someone across the street and you put it on your Instagram or something like that. Whereas, and for some people, a complete science. <laughs> Saying we love Jesus in the church is easy. Loving church people in your life is not as easy, right? Amen? Amen? It's not as easy. And as Dostoevsky says, it's labor and persistence. Now, I bring this up as an opportunity, not as a challenge. I'm not saying that we don't do this. I'm included in this with you guys. I love our church, and I am amazed at how much our church loves one another. Uh, we've been doing this for a little over a year, and I am stunned by how much love I feel in our community. But that doesn't mean we can't grow in it, right? Indeed, it's a command from our Lord. Do you notice he says, a new commandment I give you. This is not a negotiable. And why? He commands us because of verse 35 in John 13. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. 
So Jesus is saying, our love for each other is a testimony to the reality of Jesus. Do you realize too, if we love one another, we're all corporately turning on the switch, right? Which means that God's love will be more and more here. If you are lit up like a light bulb with the love of God, and you're with a hundred other people who are lit up with the love of God, we are all connected and bonded to each other. Imagine the light, imagine the power, and the witness of that. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about. That's what he wants. So today's our first, our first birthday. Last year, we heard that on our launch day as a church plant, there's gonna be like 250 dudes in, in blue hats out there serving pancakes. And we were like, no, and it was terrifying. But we got the green, the green mugs out, and everything worked great, just like it's beautiful right now. We've been at church for one year. Praise God. He's been so good to us. But we have an opportunity to deepen in our love for one another. And really clearly from the Lord, we have felt him calling us. I don't just want this to be an organization, a thing that we're like building, but I want there to be unique depth to the love of God in our relationships with one another. That's what we're being asked to do. That's what we want to do. Amen? That's ahead of us. But finally, how in the world do we do this? Hopefully that's the next question you're, you're thinking in your mind. As I was writing this sermon and I'm saying these points, I'm thinking in my mind, oh man, but the church is so messed up. She's been messed up and she is messed up. Our church is even messed up. When Jesus said love, love one another to his disciples, do you know that his disciples has a very strained relationship? We actually have records of them in the Gospels arguing to each other right behind Jesus as they're walking behind him. Can you imagine like getting in a fight with your friend in Jesus's presence? These guys were not like perfect people, okay? My hunch is that most of you have had issues with local churches in the past. Maybe you've had issues with the one holy Catholic and apostolic church idea, but definitely my hunch is you've struggled with this. So when you hear me talking about deepening in your love for the church, you're like, I don't know. The church has not earned my love. And actually, I've been burned before, so how could I ever do this? How could I deepen in my love for the bride of Jesus? The answer, as we've said before, is to not just go home and try. You cannot, by yourself, make yourself fall in love with someone you don't love. Last week, we talked about... Um, Bob Dylan and Adele. And this week, we turn to the great theologian, Bonnie Raitt. I can't make you love me if you don't. You can't make your heart feel something it won't. True theological existential words. That's why that song is so ridiculously good. So here's the last point, and this is really, really, really important. I wish someone would have told me this sooner in my life on All Saints and on our birthday. Number three, you love the church because Jesus loves the church. You love the church because Jesus loves the church. The church is deeply flawed. The church is imperfect. She has an ugly history of being unfaithful to her bridegroom. Yet even so, Jesus loves her. He sought her out in dark and lost places. He called her. He gave literally everything for her. Not when she was perfect, but when she was imperfect and flawed, and he's coming back for her to bring her to the marriage feast. 
It's Jesus' love for the church that powers our love for the church. The church doesn't stirs up our love for her. Love for her. Jesus stirs up our love for her. We don't put our faith in the church. This is so important, especially if you're a part of our, our little church. We don't put our faith in the church. Who do we put our faith in? Jesus. Jesus. And he is faithful to the church. Man, you got to get that right. We, we put our faith in Jesus. We love the church because of Jesus. It's right there in John 13. As I have loved you, so love one another. I love this famous quote from Mother Teresa, a wonderful saint in the church. If you don't know Mother Teresa, she worked in Calcutta in the house of the dying. So Mother Teresa lived the most life-on-life, sleeves-rolled-up, loving life of Jesus as much as anybody I know. And here's what she said. Dearest Lord, may I see you today and every day in the person of your sick and whilst nursing them, minister unto you. Though you hide yourself behind the unattractive disguise of the irritable, the exacting, the unreasonable, may I still recognize you and say, Jesus, my patient, how sweet it is to serve you. That's the perfect quote for loving the church. We can pray, Lord, though she is at times unattractive, irritable, exacting, unreasonable, May I learn to love the church as much as you love her. But even then, it's not just because we see Jesus loving the church. We're empowered by his love because we realize that Jesus has loved us the same way. When we were deeply flawed and imperfect, right? When you and I were unattractive, irritable, exacting and unreasonable, Jesus loved us. And so he commands, as I've loved you, as you've experienced my love for you, so love one another. That means to not love the church because she's flawed is to not love yourself. You are the church. You and I are not above it or below it. And that brings us all the way back to the circuit, which I wish I had a whiteboard and I could point at with one of those pointer things. You have the power to give love because you've received love, which is why this came after the last two weeks. And when you receive it and pass it along, God's love is completed. It, it lights you up. It's like you're turning on those big, for a generator that all of a sudden gives power to everything. The whole pulse and flow of love comes to life. So we finish with this. A new commandment I give to you, that you all love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is completed. It's perfected. It's finished in us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.